when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there, and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue. So they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many works there because of their unbelief. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus. And he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, He feared the people, because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod so much, so that he thought, so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oath, And his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. First, I'd just like to begin by saying thank you. So, how appropriate that you chose today as Pastor Appreciation Sunday as we read about Jesus being rejected by his hometown and John the Baptist being beheaded. So, very appropriate scripture theme for today's Pastor Appreciation. Thank you very much. So, uh, thank you. So this is a surprise to me. Uh, and so Leah would be here this morning. However, she was at a birth for about the last 20 hours and might have another client who's going into labor shortly. So she is home, hopefully sleeping soundly. Um, but thank you. Poet uh, John Lydgate said, you can please some of the people all of the time. You can please all of the people some of the time, but you can't please all of the people All of the time. Friends, you'll never please everyone all the time. And what does that mean? But it means that you're going to displease some and thus rejection is inevitable in this life. So the key to life is not to avoid rejection altogether because that's impossible. The key is to be rejected by the right people. The key is to choose to be rejected by the right people. Who am I going to live to please? And the corollary, who am I going to live to displease? 
By whom am I okay being rejected? And church, we need to understand this, that despite our best efforts, we can never have both the acceptance of Christ and the acceptance of this world. We're going to be rejected by someone. Eventually, these two will always come into conflict and you are going to have to answer the question, by whom are you willing to be rejected? And that's the question that ties together these next two accounts here in Matthew's Gospel. In in chapter 13, verses 53 through 58, we see Jesus returning to his hometown of Nazareth. And it says in verse 54 that the people are astonished. They're astonished by his wisdom and by his mighty works. But just three verses later, in verse 57, it says they've taken offense at him. So let's begin by remembering, friends, that people are fickle. What starts with astonishment about Jesus ends in accusation to him. What began with rejoicing ends in rejection. If you live, friends, for the approval of the crowds, remember, they may approve of you one day and reject you the next. However, church, the approval of the Lord is different. Remember that the Lord is. He does not change. In fact, the Lord declares through the prophet Malachi, chapter 3, verse 6, I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Friends, God doesn't approve of something one day and then reject it or reject us the next. He's not fickle. He's not tossed to and fro by the ever-changing winds of culture or the ever-shifting popular opinion. Unlike the crowd, the approval of God is not an always-moving target to try to hit. Because the Lord does not change. So whose approval are you going to chase after? And whose rejection will you fear? Now, we need to note that the rejection of Jesus comes as a rejection of his person and not of his teaching. Did you notice that they rejected not his teaching, but his person? You recall that old saying, familiarity breeds contempt? Familiarity breeds contempt because if something's familiar or common, we might look down on it just assuming that it really couldn't be anything special. Well, isn't that just Jesus? You know, Jesus, he grew up here. I mean, isn't that just the carpenter who built that thing or repaired this thing? Aren't his mother and his brothers and his sisters right here with us? And friends, because of the familiarity, despite the amazement that they begin with, it ends in offense. It's only Jesus. So he couldn't really be anything special. And friends, Some still try to discredit the gospel message today by the same manner. Oh, you believe that old story. Oh, well, yeah, I've heard that all before. Yeah, 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 I know the routine. Christ died for my sins, blah, blah, blah. Familiarity breeds contempt. Friends, just because something's familiar doesn't mean that it's not true. Just because something has been around for a long time or you've known something for a long time doesn't mean it's no longer relevant. Just because you've heard it before doesn't mean you shouldn't be astonished by it. Our world is so quick to value that which is new and novel. 
And we're so quick to dismiss those things that are familiar as just old and irrelevant. Jesus may be familiar. You may have heard the gospel story before. But friends, don't let familiarity breed contempt. Because who knows what you might miss if you do so. Jesus' whole hometown missed the Messiah. Now note that the people of Nazareth, they're offended not by the message that Jesus brought. They're simply offended by the messenger. They label Jesus and they ignore him. Isn't that just Jesus? They label him and they ignore him and they ignore his message. And friends, this still happens today. It's called in debate an ad hominem attack. Ad hominem is Latin for to the person. An ad hominem attack ignores the issues and attacks the person and the person's character. Oh, you're just that carpenter, so why should we listen to what you have to say? And we still hear this today, don't we? Oh, well, you're just a man. You're just white. You're just heterosexual. You're just fill in the blank. And friends, this culture is quick to dismiss a message simply because of the identity of the messenger. You label the person and you no longer need to engage the truthfulness of his or her argument. Oh, of course you'd think that because you're phobic. You're bigoted. You're privileged. Friends, do not dismiss the truth of a message because of the messenger. Do not attack the messenger and ignore the message they are trying to bring. This crowd never rejected Jesus' message. They rejected the messenger and so didn't even give the message a hearing. Friends, don't ignore the truth because you've prejudged the messenger. How are we guilty? How are you guilty of doing the same thing today? And because the people have already prejudged and rejected Jesus, as a result, verse 58 says, He did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Now, let's be, let's be clear. When Matthew says that there's no miracles because of the people's unbelief, he's not saying that Jesus' ability to do miracles was somehow contingent upon the people's faith. Jesus is not limited by our lack of faith. However, because of this crowd's lack of faith, Jesus chose not to do any miracles there. Remember, Jesus taught earlier in this chapter the parable of the soils. And he talked about the purpose of parables. And his statement was in Matthew 13, verse 12, For to the one who has, more will be given, and he'll have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Those in Jesus' hometown had no faith, and they didn't want to have faith. Their minds were already made up about Jesus, so it didn't matter what Jesus said. It didn't matter what Jesus did, because more miracles wouldn't have changed their hardened hearts and their made-up minds. So Jesus walks away, because like he said, whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And church, as we've said before, no amount of miracles can change the heart of one who has made up her mind. The hearts of these people are closed. They are hardened to Jesus. They won't even give him a hearing because they've labeled him, they've prejudged him, and they won't even hear his message. 
Friends, how is your heart towards Jesus and towards the message that he brings today? Now, the people initially, they seemed open to Jesus. It says that their astonishment at Jesus' teaching there in verse 54, but it quickly became offense in verse 57. It says, and they took offense at him. The, the Greek word for offense is skandalizo, where we get our word scandal or scandalize. So literally, the people were scandalized by Jesus. And interestingly, we've seen this exact same word used earlier here in chapter 13. In chapter 13, again, referring back to the parable of the soils, when Jesus went to explain what was the rocky soil in the parable of the soil, he said in chapter 13, verse 21, that the person of rocky soil, he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. Tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word. He immediate, immediately he falls away. Friends, what's translated here as falls away is that same Greek word, skandalizo. As soon as tribulation or persecution arises, immediately he's scandalized. Despite what looks like some initial excitement and life, in short order, the person is scandalized. They're offended. They hit something that offends them and they fall away. And friends, whatever the excitement is initially for this crowd in Jesus' hometown of Nazareth, it's short-lived because they're quickly scandalized, offended, and they reject Jesus. They fall away. And the same thing still happens today. There are many people in this world that hear the words of Jesus and they're astonished. You know, interest kind of springs, uh, springs up and some shallow roots form. However, it's not long before they're scandalized and they fall away. They reject Jesus before deep faith can take root and bear fruit in their lives. Because friends, it's not enough to be astonished by Jesus. Understand, it is not enough to just be astonished by Jesus. Many in this world have been and will yet be astonished by the person of Jesus. The question is, who will not be scandalized by him? Who will not fall away? Who will not reject him? And we get the story of one who didn't reject Jesus all the way until the end. We get the story of John the Baptist. Donna read for us, Matthew 14, the report of John's death. Now, the last time that we heard about John the Baptist was three chapters ago in Matthew chapter 11, when from prison, John sent a message to Jesus. And it was, should, are you the one who's going to come, or should we expect another? Are you the one who's going to come, or should we expect another? And the question that was behind John's question was, Jesus, where's my miracle? I'm sending you a message from prison. I'm languishing in prison. It's not looking good for me. And if you really are the Messiah, when are you going to come rescue me? Where's my miracle? Why aren't you springing me from jail? 
And, and you might remember from Matthew 11, Jesus didn't answer John's question directly. He did affirm, John, I have the power and the authority. And he listed all the things that he was doing to, that proved that he was the Messiah, that he was God's anointed and that he was mighty to save. However, he concluded his message to John in Matthew chapter 11, verse 6, saying, And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And as you might guess, that word offended is the same word scandalizo. Blessed is the one who's not scandalized by me. Blessed is the one who doesn't fall away from me. Blessed is the one who doesn't reject me. Jesus says, John, yes, I am the Messiah. Yes, I have the power to act and the authority to heal. I have all authority, but blessed are you and blessed are those who are not scandalized, who don't fall away when I don't fulfill your expectations of what the Messiah should be or what I should do. Can you trust a God who doesn't meet your expectations? Can you trust a God when His power doesn't act on your behalf? When He doesn't come through the way you prayed He would come through? Jesus did not meet the expectations of His hometown, so they were scandalized and they rejected Jesus. However, Jesus also didn't meet the expectations of John the Baptist. But friends, John was not scandalized. John did not fall away. John didn't need miracles to prove to him the goodness and the trustworthiness of Jesus. John rejected the approval of the crowd and the culture, but he never rejected Jesus. How about you? Chapter 14 details John's tragic death in prison at the hands of Herod the Tetrarch. Now, this is referring to Herod Antiochus, who is the son of Herod the Great. Go ahead, Samuel, you can put that up on the screen. There you go. So, Herod Antiochus was the son of Herod the Great. When Herod the Great died, the kingdom was divided among three of his sons, Archelaus, Antiochus, and Philip II. Herod Antiochus was made Tetrarch, which means he had a fourth part of the kingdom. Now, what's going on with the royal scandal? that is referenced here in Matthew 14. Herodias is the granddaughter of Herod the Great. Herodias first married her uncle, Herod Philip II. However, Herod Antiochus, who we're talking about today, persuaded Herodias to divorce Philip and to marry him. So the Herod that we're talking about today married a woman who both had been his brother's wife, and was his niece. So there's a royal scandal for the day. Now, marriage to a brother's wife, while that brother was still living, was clearly forbidden in the Mosaic Law, in Leviticus 18, verse 16. So what did John the Baptist do? He confronted Herod. And what did Herod do? He locked John up. And Herodias, his wife, was looking for an opportunity to have John killed. And that opportunity presented itself at Herod's birthday party. Most likely the guests were drinking heavily, merrymaking, and then the daughter of Herodias came in and likely performed some very sensual and sexual dancing for Herod and for his guests. And in response, Herod offers the daughter of Herodias 
anything she wants. And Herodias takes that moment to get ahead. Literally, Herodias requests, tells her daughter to request the head of John the Baptist on a platter, which is what the empty platter is that Kevin put on the, uh, on the bulletin today. You know, just this week, interestingly, the Babylon Bee, the Christian satire site, posted this article. Herod's daughter kind of wishing she just asked for a cute purse or something. I really feel like mom steered me wrong on this one. In all seriousness, church, we're reminded of a couple of things by this account. First and foremost, sexual ethics. The sexual ethics of the Bible will always make you more enemies than friends. As one pastor wrote, sexuality has always been an arena where followers of Jesus stand in sharp contrast to the world. Because no one likes being told that what they're doing is wrong. No one likes being told that what they want is immoral. But church, let's be clear. From cover to cover, the Bible has one message. Any sexual activity outside of one man and one woman in the covenant of marriage is sinful. And anyone who tells you the Bible says otherwise is lying to you because they fear rejection by this culture. Because you can't please all the people all the time. And speaking the truth is always going to upset someone. John the Baptist spoke the truth to power and he paid the price for it. Jesus Christ spoke the truth to power and he paid the price for it. And church, if you dare speak the truth to power today, you will pay the price for it. Dare to question the sexual ethics or sexual identities of today and you risk cancellation and condemnation. Like John the Baptist, you may have your head handed to you on a platter. Your social standing, your relationships, your job, they may be on the chopping block. Now understand, friends, Christ shows kindness to all and so should his church. God graciously forgives the sin of all who come to Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. However, grace does not mean that there's no longer a right and a wrong. Grace does not mean that there is no longer sin and righteousness. Grace does not mean that there's no longer good and evil. In fact, if you say you need to be forgiven, then you're implying you've done something wrong for which you need to be forgiven. And friends, for every single generation that has ever lived, sexual ethics has always been a spiritual and a moral battleground. Every generation has challenged and tried to redefine the proper boundaries for human sexuality and relationships. That's what was going on with Herodias and Herod. They were trying to redefine what were proper sexual boundaries and proper relationships. And John the Baptist confronted Herod and Herodias. And friends, we stand and we speak the truth like John did to a culture that doesn't want to hear it. Will we be scandalized by God's law? Will we be offended by Christ's commands? Will we fall away from the truth because we fear the rejection of the culture? Whose rejection do you fear? 
The second thing that we're reminded of in this account is that alcohol and sex have been the undoing of many a person. We see Herod's foolish promise was birthed most likely from drunkenness and lust. Friends, the Bible teaches that God has given us both sex and alcohol to be enjoyed. But outside of the bounds in which they are meant to be used, they become drunkenness and lust and they lead to destruction. You know this. A fire within the safe boundaries of your fireplace at home brings warmth and delight to the occupants of your your house. But if that same fire escapes the boundaries of the fireplace, it brings fear and destruction to the house and all of its occupants. And friends, alcohol and sex are the same way. They are a fire. How many lives and marriages and families have been destroyed because of -of out-of-control drunkenness or sexual arousal? And friends, none of us is immune. We need to guard ourselves against drunkenness or addiction to any substance that might control us and cause us to make foolish, sinful, and destructive decisions. And we need to guard against sexual temptations that would cause us to lust and to stray and to make faithless decisions that will destroy us and our families. And with that said, friends, do you need help? Do you need help? Because this is a place of healing, not of condemnation. We believe in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and His power to break the control of sin, addiction, and lust. Don't wait for the fire of drunkenness or sexual arousal to get far outside of the fireplace. The sooner you get the fire under control, the less damage the fire does the less damage there will be to repair afterwards. Friends, find the forgiveness of Christ. Experience the power of His Holy Spirit to break addictions and find the support that you need within the community of Christ. And finally, we witness that while Herod's foolish promise was birthed from drunkenness and lust, he followed through because of cowardice. He followed through because of cowardice. He feared rejection by the crowd. Verse 9, the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his death, he commanded it to be given, it being the head of John the Baptist. Friends, peer pressure causes us to do that which we otherwise wouldn't do. Mark's gospel makes clear to us that Herod had been protecting John because he'd been listening to him and wondering about what he said. However, now, rather than be courageous and admit that, rather than be courageous and stand up against the crowd, rather than risk cancellation and rejection by the culture, Herod chooses to put an innocent man to death. And church, understand that our cowardice and silence often results in the death of the innocent as well. Whose rejection do you fear? We cannot please all of the people all the time. So the key is to choose to be rejected by the right people. So who are you going to live to please? And the corollary By whom are you willing to be rejected? 
Because as much as we might wish otherwise, you can never have both the acceptance of Christ and acceptance of this world. We heard mentioned earlier in this passage Jesus' half-brother James. James, like some of Jesus' other half-siblings, eventually came to believe that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. Now, now think about that. Seriously, how hard would it be to convince you that your half-brother was the Messiah? That had to be some pretty convincing proofs. James did come to believe. And in fact, the book of Acts, we read that James went on to lead the church in Jerusalem. And James wrote a letter which is preserved for us in the New Testament, which is simply called the letter or the book of James. And in his writing, we find that James sounds a lot like his half-brother Jesus. Especially when he writes in James chapter 4, verse 4, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Because friends, no matter how you try, you can never please all of the people, all of the time. And we remember that Christ himself was rejected by the world. At least six times the New Testament refers to Jesus Christ by quoting Psalm 118, verse 22. For example, we opened our service this morning by reading from Matthew chapter 21, verse 42. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the Scriptures... Psalm 118.22, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and is marvelous in our eyes. Friends, Christ is the cornerstone, the one that the Lord has chosen, but he's the one who was rejected by the architects of this culture, the architects of this world. And so, church, we who cling to the cornerstone which has been rejected by the world will ourselves be rejected. Church, you have to choose. By whom are you going to be rejected? Because if you choose to pursue acceptance from the crowd, remember, they're fickle. Their approval is an ever-moving target. We see it regularly in social media. Yesterday's heroes become today's villain. You can be loved today, but tomorrow you might transgress in some way, or maybe you've not progressed far enough because the goalposts are ever moving, and then you're canceled and rejected. Friends, is that the tenuous type of approval you're going to spend your life running after? Or will you seek the approval of Christ? Jesus Christ, who Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 teaches, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His standards don't change. His love has not changed. And His acceptance will never change. Rather, as we sang together today, He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by Him at such a cost, He will hold me fast. Friends, accept the cornerstone and you may be rejected by this world, but you will never be rejected by Christ. Whose approval are you going to live to seek? And friends, by whom are you willing to be rejected? 
Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, a firm foundation, an unyielding, unmoving, unchanging rock upon which we stand. Father, as this world shifts and changes, as the goalposts are ever moving, may we keep our eyes upon the unchanging Jesus Christ. Help us. Help us in our weakness not to fear rejection by the world and to cling to the unchanging Christ. Help us not to fear speaking what is true and good and right, no matter the consequence. Help us, Father, to not be scandalized, to not fall away, but to endure to the end, clinging to Jesus Christ, our cornerstone. In his name we pray. Amen.